Hello, this is Jeff Otis, Senior Wealth Consultant and Partner at Evergreen GovCal, and you're listening to Coffee with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoy this 15-minute conversation with myself and the founder and CEO of GovCal Research and fellow partner at Evergreen, Louis Gov. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey, listener, this episode requires an extra disclosure. Jeff Otis is an employee and partner of Evergreen GovCal. All views and opinions expressed by Jeff and any guest of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. All right, so we've got the esteemed Louis Gov back with us. Right. So Louis, thanks, thanks for being here. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Great to see you. How's everything up in Whistler these days? Well, uh, you know what? It was great up until uh, 24 hours ago. Uh, we we're having great snow. We were not no Americans coming to take our snow from us. Uh, things <laughs> things things were all going pretty well, but they uh, uh, and you know BC to some extent was sort of the Florida of Canada. We we managed to stay open and have more or less normal lives, uh, but yesterday the hammer came down and um, Whistler was shut down and they've shut down all the bars and they've shut down all the restaurants and they shut down all the sports clubs. So yeah, now it's uh, all of a sudden it's a it's a lot less fun. We're all working through it, aren't we? Well, best of luck up there. I'm gonna in the in because we only got a little bit of time here. I want to get you started with something I read you. Uh, I read that you wrote recently. So, uh, and then we'll I'm have you expand on it. So, I, I recently read you write. It's not about what you own, but who you own it with. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can expand on that. Sure. Um, look, I think we're all the fruits of our own experiences, right? And early on in my career, I um, um, I started my career during uh, in Asia during the Asian crisis. And I was just blown away at how quickly uh, certain asset prices absolutely collapsed uh, in prices. Um, I mean, you had some 80, 90 percent drops in, in values of businesses that were very healthy, sturdy businesses. Uh, and, and the reason for that wasn't that there was anything wrong with the business, but there was something wrong with the shareholders of the business, uh, people who owned it on leverage, uh, people who got margin calls. And so you got to crazy prices. Uh, and the reason I sent that to the team the other day was, uh, of course, this was also something that a lot of us experienced in in 2000 dur- during the tech bust. You may you may remember that during the the tech boom and bust, uh, you know, on the way up you wanted to own whatever Janus owned, and on the way down you didn't want to own whatever Janus owned because Janus was facing redemptions, and even very good healthy businesses were were being sold down the river. And so the reason I send that uh, is, of course, you know, we had the the big shakeout uh, on Friday where all of a sudden, you know, a lot of stocks that otherwise would seem to be doing fine dropped 25, 30, 40, 50%. And it wasn't that there was anything wrong with the business, there was something wrong with the shareholder, uh, with a key shareholder of of the business, namely Bill Wong. And so I think today, you know, as we go through this experience, um, what seems pretty likely now is that every investment bank will be told by the regulators cut back on the margin lending, cut back on the contract for differences, cut cut back on uh, you know on, on all these activities, de-gear your books. Uh, we can't have another episode such as this one. And therefore, I think you, you want to avoid owning uh, stocks perhaps that have shot up on uh, thanks to uh, leverage and thanks to concentrated positions. Um, we in short, we're entering the cycle where 
it's not as much about what business you own, but who you own it with. So would you say that you think the ARC trade is over? Uh, so Kathy Wood is- Hard to say, cor- right? So hard to say, you know, that I'll first make a disclosure that Kathy Wood is, is a close friend uh, and has been a client of ours forever. And, um, and you know, I, I'm in awe and I have so much respect for what she's built uh, for ARC. Uh, but yes, ARC does strike me as one of these things where you have concentrated positions uh, in, in a few key names. You've had massive inflows uh, into ARC. And if ever those inflows turn into outflows, you wonder who would be on the other side. You, you wonder if it's basically the same Janus trade as 2000 all over again. We shall find out, shall we? Yeah. All right. There's been a lot of talk about the U.S. Uh, you know, reopening, will reopen, how it's reopening. But let's talk about Europe. So in your viewpoint, do you think Europe's going to reopen in time for a halfway normal summer session, summer season? I think so. And, and here I'll make one quick point is, you know, if you look at so far this year, so, you know, we're coming to the end of the first quarter, the news flow in the U.S. has been broadly much better than you would have expected in early January. You know, in early January, you were setting yourselves up for riots in Washington, for contested uh, handover of power. And uh, frankly, the news coming out of the U.S. was was somewhat disturbing. Um, meanwhile, you know, the transition of powers happened, you know, more or less smoothly. Politics are no longer really an issue in the U.S., and uh, and yes, to your point, you know, most basically of the southern states, of the Midwestern states have fully reopened now. Um, and of course, the vaccine rollout has broadly been a success. Contrast this with Europe, where, you know, in the past three months, the, the vaccine rollout has been a complete shambles. Um, it's been a complete uh, been a complete gong show uh, to the point where it does raise serious question marks. Um, you know, will will the Christian Democrats get reelected in Germany? Unlikely. Will Macron get reelected in France? Unlikely. Um, so it, it raises g- genuine uh, political concerns, I think, for Europe. Having said that, what surprises me um, is that in this environment where, frankly, Europe has completely, uh, you know, stumbled and the U.S. has actually done quite well, the U.S. dollar has gone up a little bit against the euro, but really not that much. It's basically gone from 121, 122 to 117. Really not that much of a rally, especially when you look at the, the widening divergence in interest rates at the long end between the U.S. You know, in the U.S., you've gone from 80 basis points to, uh, to 170, while in Europe, long interest rates have barely moved. So you would have expected a massive rally on the U.S. dollar. It has not happened. Um, and perhaps one of the reasons, I think, is the market is trying to project itself three, six months from now. Uh, and the reality is the vaccines are now being rolled out in Europe. And so the Europe, basically Europe today could be where the US was three months ago, uh, where pessimism and is, is, is high, but the reality is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that's not a train coming at you. It's actually a genuine light. The vaccines are being rolled out. And so you could very well see in, uh, in the coming months, better news out of Europe. And if you do, then what I would expect is a sell-off in European bonds somewhat similar to the sell-off you've seen in U.S. bonds. Just as U.S. bond yields have gone from, you know, 80 basis points to 170, you know, what's to stop European bond yields going from, say, minus 20 basis points to plus 50? So I think that's, you know, that's perhaps something we need to look forward to in this um, in the second quarter. Okay. A couple more questions here and then a bonus question. So let's talk about uh, recent uh, Fed bond buying activity. So what's been going on and what's going to be the impact on on interest rates moving forward? Well, so I think this is fascinating because, 
you know, the Fed has basically come out and said, look, we're, we're going to buy $120 billion worth of, of treasuries every month. And in February, they bought $180 billion, so 50% more than they said they would. In March, we don't have the final numbers, but for the first three weeks of March, we're on course for $137 billion. So they're already doing more, and you know if they keep doing, they'll probably be at a, you know 180 again for 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 March. So it looks like the Fed is buying a whole lot more bonds than they said they would, and and yet bond yields continue to go up, right? The the Fed is in essence buying more bonds than they said they would, and that's not enough to prevent bond yields from going up. And I would say you know look at the the past few days, we have a you know a hedge fund blowing up which you know, sell off in a number of stocks, usually you would have expected some kind of run for cover uh, amongst investors and bond yields to go down. And today bond yields are back to making new highs at 175. So, uh, so then the big question becomes, okay, is the, is the long end of the bond market selling off because the Fed isn't doing enough? Um, because the, basically the treasury issuance is so large that even if the Fed is buying 180 billion a month, that's still not enough to prevent yields from going up. Uh, that's what I believe is happening. Um, or is it that the Fed is doing too much, that basically the Fed is ad adding too much liquidity and the market is pricing in a roaring economic growth? Uh, either way, you're left, you're left in, the, in, the same, in the same position where as you project yourself again in, 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 the, in the second quarter, the Fed is going to have to make a choice where either they say, okay, you know what, we did two months in a row at 180 billion, uh, so now, you know, we said we'd do 120 billion. So now we've got to average it back down. So let's just do 60 billion a month for a couple of months. So option one, if they if they do that, I think the U.S. dollar shoots up, and the um, and the equity markets tank. What's more likely, I think, is that given the pace of Treasury issuance and the rising bond yields, the Fed actually continues to buy 180, 200 billion dollars a month. At which point the market said, hold on, you told us you'd buy 120. But really, you're buying 180 to 200. Um, so really, that's what you're doing. In which case, the USR takes takes a leg down. And if you match that with a Europe that is also starting to do better, I think we could have a setup in the second quarter where the US dollar starts to roll over again. Reminds me of the kids' game, Hungry Hungry Hippo. I don't know if you remember that one, but they're <laughs> they're gobbling it all up, aren't they? Yeah. So. Well, they're, they're, but right, they're trying to gobble time. it all up. They're trying to gobble it all up, but even in doing so, it's not enough to to prevent yields from rising. I mean, that's right. you know that's how much Treasury issuance is going on, right? When you know when Biden comes out and says, "Look, we're going to do 1.9 trillion," and then by the way, we're going to do another three trillion beyond that, it starts to be proper money. Last question: um, It's on oil. So, do you think oil prices are going to continue to rise? Yes, I do. Uh, I do. I think in. Uh, in a world, you know, what to me is 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 quite amazing is we're basically back at 65 bucks, uh, give or take, uh, in a world that hasn't fully reopened yet. Uh, well, let me let me ask you this: do you, How big do you think the driving season is going to be this summer in uh, in the U.S.? <laughs> I think it's yeah. Once huge. people can travel again, yeah. Most people can travel again. They haven't seen their families for a year, for a year and a half. They haven't seen their parents. They haven't seen their brothers, their siblings. People are going to get on the road, um, and so the traveling season in the U.S. is going to be huge. Europe, at the same time as Europe starts to reopen after really being completely shut down for, for a year, um, at the same time as, you know, Asia is basically back to, to, to being open, uh, you, you put it all together and it's, yeah, you know, oil demand will be strong. So talk me, walk me through maybe as a, as a final here, um, 
how do equities respond to this? So what we just talked about in terms of Fed, oil prices, economic reopening, I mean, with the world, the way kind of give us your your uh, your blueprint on how you think equities respond ahead. Well, I think, the, you know, the first point is uh, if really, you know, bond yields outside of the U.S. start to be pulled higher by the combination of reopening outside of the U.S. plus plus the uh, uh, reopening outside of the U.S., plus, you know, accelerating economic activity, plus higher oil price. Um, you know, all this points to steep yield curves pretty much everywhere. So the first point is, I'd say, you know, financials in the U.S. have rallied really hard, less so elsewhere. I think financials outside of the U.S. today are probably an, uh, an, an attractive bet, number one. Number two, in a world where bond yields outside of the U.S. start to catch up with U.S. bond yields, you know, I think we're, we're back to a world where a lot of the cyclicals do quite well. You know, you've got steep steep yield curve. And more importantly, as the, the yields catch up uh, outside of the U.S. to yields in the U.S., uh, the U.S. dollar will most likely be going down. The, you know, the interest rate differential that today supports the U.S. dollar will start disappearing. Um, now, a weak U.S. dollar is always great news for cyclicals, uh, whether your materials, your, your energy. Um, and it's also always great news for emerging markets and for stock markets outside of the U.S. So, I think a lot of the trends that really you've seen develop in the past four or five months, outperformance of financials, outperformance of energy, outperformance of deep cyclicals, um, uh, which has really sort of abated in the past three, four weeks, uh, mostly as the U.S. dollar has rallied. I think that trend comes back. Um, it's, uh, I think it's a trend for the, for the coming years. It's not just a, a few weeks trend. So that trend, that trend comes back. I think you want to go back to your cyclicals and back to your financials. All right. There you go. You've heard it here. So bonus question time. Something you and I have in common is we both have four kids. And I will say the reputation of your kids is they're the nicest, most well-mannered, highly respect respectful kids around. So kudos to you on that. Um, I, but I, I, but that. I am curious. <laughs> yeah, well, that's you know what, what I hear. You know how so, it is. You know how it is. Your kids are always, are we're always working on it. We're working homes. on it over here. <laughs> so with with what we're talking about traveling season, is there a pl what's your favorite place in the world to travel to with the family? Well, right now, there's not a lot of travel going on, right? Um, and, you know, to be honest, we've been very lucky to uh, to have done confinement uh, in British Columbia, uh, which is and we've really, you know, try to make the most of discovering British Columbia. There's uh, there's some there's some really beautiful spots here. Last summer, we uh, we rented a boat and went up Desolation Sound. And that, that was amazing. We went uh, rafting up north uh, in British Columbia off of uh, Smithers, um, did a six-day trip on the Babine River, and that was awesome. But, um, you know, I think we're, if, if I'm perfectly honest, I think after, you know, being stuck for more than a year in Canada, we're looking forward to a beach, uh, and we're looking forward to a, to a warm beach somewhere. Um, is there, and, is there know, a specific one that you have in mind? Well, uh, when you, when you talk, you know, when we lived in Asia for 20 years, and a lot of the beaches in Asia are hard to beat. Whether you whether you go to Bali, whether you go to the Philippines, whether you go to Thailand, there's there's some pretty special beaches. Well, for so many of us, right, working here, listening, it's been a different different beast the last 12 months. So may us may we all enjoy a travel season ahead, uh, you know, and and a, and a return to life as we used to we used to have it. So, Louis, thank you for your time. I appreciate you jumping on with us. We'll do it again. Uh, always My always pleasure. great having you. Thanks a bunch. Evergreen Gobcal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. 
We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.